When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host today, Rich Fay. I'm joined by Tyrone Marshall. On today's show, we'll take a look at United's plans for Old Trafford and look ahead to this weekend's trip to face Aston Villa. First of all, Ty, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you, Rich. Very good. I'm just admiring your trainers, actually. So, oh yeah, uh, I mean these will be caught cracking on... colours on them. They look like a cotton shot job. Yeah, they won't be. They won't be caught on camera. But basically, I ordered them online thinking they were just blue New Balance, and they arrived, and they were actually the Levi Special ones. So they're half blue, sort of denim jean, and half a grey colourway. I thought they'd be entirely blue. I think I like them. But they remind they, me. They do look a bit like a cotton shot car that just bit of I mean, crash. He's, look, he's looking at yours now yeah it's kind of like the in-betweeners car isn't it um, <laughs> the socks are a bit wild aren't they it also kind of reminds me of, was that a tw- i'm trying to think like euro 2012 where players used to wear like a pink boot and a blue boot they were both like oh, it was yeah, like part, maybe yeah. part of the nike deal yeah. but yeah who knows shoes anyway um more pressing matters you were at the press conference mm. in midweek looking ahead to a uh, villa this weekend of course some of that is embargoed that'll be released on saturday night ahead of the game what was the what was the mood like at, at Carrington, I suppose? Because yeah, United are one of the informed teams at the moment. They are, yeah, yeah. Doing doing pretty well actually. They've had a really good month or or six weeks, I think it's fair to say. I don't feel like the mood changes an awful lot, to be honest. Um, you know, is like the, the you don't get a lot of charisma in a Ten Hag press conference, I think it's fair to say. That's very dry, isn't it? It's very dry. You know, a few of us were talking about it yesterday and you, it can be hard to get a line sometimes, or if you get a line, it's in a 10-word quote. Well, we'll come on to it, but Samuel asked him about um, Johnny Evans and Raphael Varane contracts, and I reckon the answer was five or six words. And it was a line in that they've not yet decided, I think was the gist Spoiler of it. Spoiler alert. But the answer is just so short yeah. that it's like, there's no, if you ask, we were comparing it, if you ask Jurgen Klopp that question, he'd probably still talk for two minutes. Yeah, and he'd talk about how great a professional Johnny's been this season, yeah, exactly. how Rafa's won the yeah. World Cup, but obviously... It's also the case, with managers like that sometimes, and you know, a lot of people know I used to cover Burnley, and Dice was like that, you'd, you'd do a Dice press conference on a Thursday, it'd be 45 minutes, mm-hmm. and you'd get nationals come in that rarely ever come, and they'd be like, that was brilliant. And he's going off on tangents, talking about... I guess the flip Western side on that films. sometimes is, is then you've got too many lines and it's trying to find out what yeah. actually is the headline. But also, those managers who talk so much, like Klopp does a bit, like Dice definitely did. I don't think he's quite the same now at Everton, but at Burnley it was so relaxed. And it was, it was in the days when the embargo section of press conferences weren't recorded. And he'd just stick his feet on the desk and talk about all sorts. And it would go on for ages. And you'd leave and think that went on forever. I've got to trans- I've got to transcribe that. Nationals would come, you know, some of them national would come. So rarely they'd be like, that was brilliant. And I'd always say, listen back to it. And you would, and you'd be like, there's no line there. For 45 minutes he's spoken, and there's no line there. Do you think that was like a pur- purposeful sort of distraction job? I think possibly, yeah, possibly. And the thing with, I mean, this is 
turning into a Burnley podcast now, but it, like, so I was going to say, on. it sounds like one of my opinion pieces. It goes on for ages, but it doesn't make a point. <laughs> yeah. Get to the end and there's no line yeah. in it. Yeah. What was that? <laughs> what, what, what was I trying to say again? He'd go on tangents about music and films, you know. Again, like an opinion piece. Like an opinion piece. <laughs> quite broad culturally for probably what you'd expect from, from looking at Sean Dyche and hearing him speak. Do you used to speak about curry a lot? Oh, I loved a curry, yeah. yeah curry, Western yeah. films, gigs, going to gigs with Stuart Pearce, all sorts of tangents. But you try and get him back on the football. And like, I was working for the local paper at the time. I had two days worth of papers to fill. And you just get jibes about how boring it was trying to ask him about football when everyone else is chatting about westerns and stuff like that and going to gigs with Pierce and mosh pits and things like that. So, yeah, you do find the managers that talk a lot sometimes don't actually have that much to say. Whereas at least with Ten Hag, like I say, you, you never feel like he's, he's missed the charisma in a press conference. He's not holding the room at the front, but, you know, sometimes there is a line in there, but the answers can be pretty short but we've that's always been the case since his very first presser at Old Trafford yeah I guess sometimes he's a bit too strict to the point isn't he and he can yes it's it's difficult because sometimes you want to ask a real sort of open-ended question as well to try get it best out of him but when it's a contract or an injury news you do sometimes just need like a yes or no answer and obviously with injuries as well he always says it's a personal matter doesn't he nowadays that's his new sort of not diversion tactic I think it is just maybe him respecting their their medical privacy but from a journalistic point of view maybe a fan point of view it is very annoying and that kind of brings us on to to Martinez now I mean obviously United were coy when he got his injury as well at the weekend we now know that's going to be roughly about eight weeks but you know they might not want to risk him coming straight back in anyway because of his injury record in, in, in this season. How do you replace him then? Can you replace him? I mean, we saw in those those games, was it four games he played when he came back from injury, four or five? Yes, He, he so. was never the stand-up player, but he was almost the unsung hero in all of them. He just, you take for granted how good his passer range is. Yeah. There is no one like him in the squad. Ten Hag has said before that, you know, having a left footer helps you build from the back, gives you new passing ranges. He's very confident in possession. You can't replace him like for like, but what do you reckon the, uh, the best alternative is? I don't know. It's difficult. Uh, I think it's really difficult. I mean, we, I think he's probably the player that United have missed most this season at, at both ends of the pitch, strangely. I mean, I'm intrigued to see how they attack at Villa and how the attack looks without him because since he's been back, it's worked really well and has scored a lot of goals. But it just seems such a strange thing to say that the left-sided centre-back is the most important player in an attacking structure, but it does seem that way at United. And... Like you say, his, his passing range and ability to, to break lines with his forward passes is great. He's easily United's most aggressive front-footed defender. And I think they just, they just look a different team in possession with a left-footed centre-back there. Um, and, you know, losing him is, is a major blow. Eight weeks is probably better than we thought, I think, at the time. When he, when he went down a second time against West Ham and then when Ten Hag said it was a personal disaster afterwards, I think everyone thought you know, cruciate or something like that here. I mean, I was amazed he went back on, to be honest, and Ten Hag did get asked about that yesterday and kind of said, we can't, you know, we can't diagnose it straight away. But I think it was pretty clear the first time he went down when he was thumping the turf that you take him off, especially when you're in command of that game. Um, but yeah, how they replace him is, is going to be a problem. I mean, he was asked whether Luke Shaw would replace him, which he did a lot last season. And I think, I think if everyone's available, that is what Ten Hag would do. I think he prizes a left footer in that role so much that he would rather play Shaw there than Lindelof or Evans or Maguire. And that was part of the reason why Varane was getting overlooked at the yeah. start of the season, wasn't it? Because Ten Hag said, look, he's a right-side centre-back and 
he might be a better defender than Evans and Lindelof, but they're better on the left. So that's why he, you know Varane was down the pecking yeah. order. So like you said, it's integral, isn't it, having someone who who brings those similarities to Martinez to the side. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, go, go on for you. You think if Shaw's fit, he'd be there. But obviously the dilemma is Wan-Bissaka's out, so Dallow can't be moved to left back. Yeah. Regulon's gone and Malassia's sidelined. That's it. I, they, I mean, they've only got two fit fullbacks. Unless, I mean, Wan-Bissaka limped out of training. You'd be surprised if he was fit for the weekend now, so we presume he's out. That leaves him with only two fit fullbacks. Shaw has got to play left back. I mean, we go back to last season in the derby and Shaw played, Shaw played centre-back in the derby against Erling Haaland. That is how much he prizes that left-footed build-up. You mentioned Varane Maguire there. In countless answers this season, he has talked about Varane Maguire competing for the same place. I think Tenag is very clear on centre-backs aren't just centre-backs. They're a right-sided centre-back or they're a left-sided centre-back. And I think it... I mean, I think it's probably going to have to be Varane and Maguire. I was going to ask you on that, though, because we all have this consensus, and you're writing some of the pieces that look, Varane's the best defender at the club. I think Martinez has probably got that accolade now. I think he's ahead of yeah. Varane for everything he brings. But he just can't be relied upon week in, week out. And it's a cliche I've been saying lots in recent weeks, but you know, the best ability is availability. If you can't play two games a week, you can't be relied upon. Whereas... Evans and Lindelof perhaps could be relied upon more than Varane if you're building a squad now as well for eight weeks. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, I don't think it was any surprise that Varane was, was rested last week. You called it in your panel when you picked the team that he should be spot on that. rested. Very, very, uh, very perceptive of you, Rich. Um, but he'd started, he started six games in a row before that. That was the most games he'd started in a row in two years, which for a centre-back is incredible, really. Six games in a row for a first choice centre-back, which is essentially what he's been for most of his time at United. So yeah, that shows his, his lack of availability. Um, you know, he, he, is, he is still on his day a brilliant defender. I think Maguire's having a really good season, so I think you probably go with those two. But I just think, for whatever, for whatever reason, and obviously he, you know, can I get better at building a team than we are, but he... Are you sure? He's still, well, yeah, I'm not at a chance yet. Well, the this season. His team looks so much different, so different when there's two right-footed centre-backs and it just, it is nowhere near as smooth. And like You said that that is the, that is the perverse thing about United in recent weeks is we keep on saying, look, they've turned the corner, this front three is going to blitz everyone, yeah. but a key part of that was Martinez. Yeah. And like you said, Massively. in a way, one of the United's best attackers hasn't been Hoyland or Gonacho, it's been Lissandro Martinez, yeah. which sounds ludicrous, but it, there is a very valid point there, yeah. isn't it? It feels like that, that is the case. And, you know, we've talked about how they scored 11 goals in, in three games, and like we say, the attack suddenly is clicking, but it's clicking because the build-up play is better. And I think when there's two right-footers, I, I don't think they go short anywhere near as often. I don't think he trusts Maguire on the left or Varane on the left in, in build-up play. He always talks about passing angles and how you can't open your body with your right foot if you're on the left and things like that. And, it, you know, it, it clearly has a major effect on, on how they play. And I'm intrigued, if it is two right-footers, I'm intrigued to see how they look at Villa because I think the, the quality of the football they've played over the last week or so has been a lot better. It's allowed more movement. We've seen Dallow going into midfield more often because they're keeping the ball better. They're playing through the thirds better because Anana's going short to Martinez, they've got better angles to play it across the box. If that all falls to pieces at Villa Park, then it, it probably just shows you that, bizarrely, the left-sided centre-back is the most important attacker in this team. I mean, maybe, 
maybe it's just a coincidence and the attack has clicked and they'll, they'll go and score three and it's obviously a good time to be playing Villa, but it does feel like Martinez is possibly the most irreplaceable player in that team. And to, you know, you mentioned before, I've done a piece on it this morning, I think if Regulon was still here, he'd, he'd, he'd play at left-back and Shaw would play at left-centre-back. Um, they obviously sent Regulon back thinking Malassia was closer to fitness than he is. He's still, you know, he said yesterday that, that he's still out. Um, and with Wan-Bissaka out, like I said, no, that gives them no options at fullback and no chance of, of moving short. So maybe they're, maybe they're regretting sending Regulon back. And I, I thought Regulon did all right in the first half of the season, to be honest. I was he surprised. Certainly, he certainly had the right mentality for yeah. a squad play, didn't he? He was, yeah. he was loving life at United, yeah. was a key part of the dressing room. Everyone liked him. I didn't hear a bad word said about him. You know, he obviously wasn't maybe with the same ability as obviously like someone like Luke Shaw or the other players, but... In terms of a squad player, you want someone with that attitude, don't you? And I don't see what the harm would have been keeping him, even if Molassio had got fit, because you're still in one injury away, like you said, from a potential disaster. So yeah, I was. I mean, I yeah, I was surprised they sent him back. To be honest, um, he's only played twice for Brentford so far, but he seems to have done okay. And like I said, I mean, maybe maybe they thought Molassio was closer than he is, but it, it it was a surprise. I don't know if it was. You know, I, I'm reading between the lines here whether it was an attempt to free up some wages. We know how tight it was with FFP and how desperate Tenag was to sign a striker. And maybe they thought getting rid of Regulon and whatever wages they were paying him would, would help in that regard. But obviously it didn't. And you do feel if he was still here, I think he'd probably be starting at the weekend and sure would be moving infield. Contract renewals then. Uh, when Ten Hag was asked in midweek about Johnny Emerson and Rafael Varane, he said, we haven't made the decision yet, as you said. What a line that is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> telling us so much new information. Next question. Where do you stand on those two at the moment? Do you think there's an argument to keep both of them, none of them, one of them? I'm not sure there's an argument to keep Johnny Evans. But I think he's been good. I think he's overachieved this season. He's played more than probably anyone expected. But he's 36 now. Is there another year in him? For me, it's also, it's sort of, it's that kind of stinks of previous United where they get a bit too carried away. Like when Agarlo came in on low and it was like, yeah. he's done his job, cash in now. Yeah. And yeah. then you sign him permanently. It's like, what, what are you doing, guys? Like, he's done his job for now. And yeah. it feels the same for me with Evans. You know, he could stay on in an ambassadorial role. He could potentially maybe have that sort of Tom Huddleston role in the academy. You know, he played yeah. in against Wrexham, didn't he, last preseason? He was one of the, the senior players involved in that. I mean, there's a way to keep him at the club but maybe don't need to, to go it. out your way to keep him yeah, as a player I mean maybe he wants another season maybe he's certainly you know he looks very fit for a, a 36 year old like you say he looks he looks more durable than Varane does so I don't think you know I, I think if he wanted to play somewhere and play 30 games a season next season he could do I'm just like you say I think I think the way United should be looking at it is that You've been brilliant this season. You've done more than we expected. You've filled that role perfectly. But it was for one season and it's job done and we feel we should move on. But I guess a lot of that depends on what happens with, with the other centre-halves because... There could be a lot of turnover, couldn't there, at centre-back this summer? Yeah, I mean, Martinez is clearly going to stay. Maguire, you would expect to stay now, given the season he's had, but I don't think there's any guarantees. But really. his stock is arguably as high as it'll ever be now. But yeah, if you've got so to cash maybe, in, Maybe it's, it's a good now. time to sell. Yeah. Maybe he feels that... Well, it's hard to say because he he could have he could win the Euros of England. That's a very realistic yeah. possibility. Yeah. I was going to say maybe he feels that he should go elsewhere to play regularly, but you know when we talk about that, we forget the mindset of 
footballers that reach a level of Man United, they do tend to believe that they will get in the team. Like, you know, Maguire... He was Maguire, mocked, wasn't he? Maguire was mocked yeah. for thinking he could win his place back. Yeah. But why wouldn't you? He was, he's been United's best centre-back this yeah. season. So, you know, it's, it's a different mindset when you reach that level that he, he, he has that belief and credit to him. I think when he, you know, when he decided not to move this summer and said, I, I can get my place back, I think everyone thought... A lot of people said he's staying for the money, this is ridiculous. But, you know, he has won his place back. But I would expect him to stay this summer, but there's no guarantee. Lindelof, you know, Lindelof has been a really reliable centre-half. I would say, anecdotally, Lindelof is the player I get emailed about the most of people saying, why have you overlooked him? Whenever I sort of do a piece like, here's United's best 11 or here's how their squad look next season. If Lindelof is omitted... Yeah. Within an hour, there's a Swedish fan who's emailed me saying, yeah. where's the disrespect on him? He's the captain yeah. of the national team. This guy deserves so much more. And that is a compelling one, isn't it? Because Lindelof's another player who, you wouldn't be surprised if he went to, you know, go to La Liga or Serie A and played every week for a top team either. Yeah, he could do it. Definitely, he could do it. And I think, you know, I think he's a very good fourth choice centre-half for United. The question is, does he want that role? I guess, do United feel they could, they could sell him? Selling him would look good on the accounts with... You know, the, the transfer fee is, is paid off now, given how long he's been here. So, you know, it, it would be banked as, as pure profit, I think, in the accounts. So there is potentially a lot of upheaval. And Varane is the other one you asked about. I mean, I don't think Varane will stay on the same money that he's on now. I think if he's to stay, it's, it's he stays with a pay cut. Um, so I think, I think Varane is probably the one where other dominoes fall. If he does sign a new deal, then you've got Varane and Martinez, maybe keep Maguire then do you let Lindelof, do you sell Lindelof, let Evans go and sign a new centre-back? But if Ferran leaves, then you know, that, that, that leaves, maybe you're leaning then to keeping Evans as, as a fourth, fifth choice and looking to sign a centre-back. So I think there's probably a few dominoes to fall there. I mean, I would, I would say keep Ferran, but I can see why they would want to keep him on less money than he's on at the moment because... He, you know, he hasn't earned that money, not through performances, but through durability and, and being available, really. That's all then for part one of the Manchester Red podcast. Today, join us after the break, where we'll take a look at United's plans to renovate Old Trafford. Welcome back then to the Manchester Is Red podcast for Manchester Evening News. I'm Rich Fay, joined by Tyrone Marshall. Old Trafford then, the Wembley of the North. Um, it's been the biggest story really this week surrounding United. It's, I've been personally surprised how much traction it's sort of gained because it's obviously been rumbling on now for, for a few years. Where do you stand on it personally? Are you team renovate, are you team rebuild? Do you think it doesn't really matter what they do next? It just needs to be seen maybe as a symbolic change that something is actually going to be happening because when United lose, it's very easy to look at a leaky roof, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And clearly, you know, clearly Old Trafford has, has fallen behind the standards. I mean, 20 years ago, it was the best club stadium in the country. Now, when, you know, when Everton move into Bramley Moor, it'll probably be the third best in the North West, maybe the fourth best in the North West. Well, again, the fact that, well, I know the official reasoning it wasn't considered for Euro 2028 20, hosting venue is because there could be work being taken place at the venue, but ultimately, the reason it needed renovating in the first place is because it's been re- neglected. So exactly. it yeah. has fallen behind. And like I said, there is a stadium that's not been built yet that is going to be hosting games at that tournament and Old Trafford will not be. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's, it, it clearly needs work doing, but it, it's damning for United that A, they're not hosting games in Euro 2028. 
I would, the next time the Champions League final comes to Manchester, I would put a lot of money on it being at the Etihad rather than Old Trafford. As, as, an, as an all-round, obviously, you know, Old Trafford is, is bigger than Anfield now, bigger than Bramley Moor, bigger than the Etihad, but it's not better than any of them, really. I don't think it's going to be better than Bramley Moor. Well, the, big, the biggest showpiece event at Old Trafford in the last 20, 20 years now is Soccer 8. It's yeah. 2003 since the Champions League final was hosted there. And since then, it's just been Soccer Aid and our media matches in the summer and the occasional Premier League game that's been quite good. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it has fallen behind, hasn't it? And I'm conflicted on this, though. I'm conflicted on this because, as David Gill said this week, you know, when you're winning, these things get overlooked. And it's easy to have a pile-on with United when things aren't going well. And it's easy to say, look, this stadium needs a lick of paint. They're stuck in the past but it's that history that makes United so good anyway. You don't say United are stuck in the past when they, when they point to their academy record, do you? You know, that is never part of their heritage, as Old Trafford is. Yeah. And if they're winning, it does get overlooked, I think, doesn't it? You can, you can gloss over the, the, the stadium revamp. Yeah. Because, again, sorry, I remember we went to West Ham two days before Christmas. I remember speaking to Chris Wheeler at the Daily Mail, and we were sort of saying, this one, this is kind of Old Trafford-esque, it needs a lick of paint, it looks very old, that's a much more modern stadium, but West Ham aren't the same club as United, they're not a behemoth who have that sort of pylon, are they? No, they're not, they're not, and you know, it's funny because Old Trafford, you, you, I mean, you look at a newly promoted club, um, you know, Luton coming up this year, which away game do you think Luton fans most wanted to go to? I bet you any money that if you surveyed all of them, the majority or the, the, big, the winner would be Old Trafford. That would be the one they want to go to. So there is still, like I said, there's history there, there's an attraction with coming to the place. It, it all depends for me on what exactly they can do in terms of redevelopment. Is it just a case, if they're spending 800 million to make it good again, but not great, then is it worth it? Just build a new stadium. And I think, you know, a, a new stadium there, you'd be looking at 90,000 plus. Do you, think, so as, do you think as football fans we sometimes get a bit too fixated on don't leave your spiritual home sort of vibe because it's kind of like that Only Fools and Horses episode you know, Trigger's broom where he's changed yeah, the handle yeah. he's changed the yeah. brush but it's still the same broom yeah. I mean Samuel wrote it in the piece I think didn't he he said that look there's only sort of one wall or one part of a tunnel within Old Trafford that is original it's all yeah. changed anyway yeah. so what are you replacing other than the sentimentality of it? Yeah, and it's, you, you, you're not, we're not talking about building a new stadium five miles away here, we're talking about building a new stadium 200 yards the away. The match day, match going experience will still be exact same, you'll yeah. have the same rituals, go to the same place, yeah, exactly. you're not out of town, you're Nothing's not relocating. Change. If they knocked, if they rebuilt, if they built a new Old Trafford, knocked the other one down, within two years, people would have forgotten there was ever a different Old Trafford, I think, really. It's not gonna change anything like I don't think anyone's going to Tottenham now and thinking oh I wish we were still at White Hart Lane 50 yards away you know the Tottenham Stadium is the best in the country it is the gold standard now it's built on the same site yeah White Hart Lane was great but it had seen better days and you know they, they needed to do it but they've, they've not they've not lost anything because they're in exactly the same position in North London and it's the same with United there's enough you know the footprint there is massive it's the same as the, you know, the Etihad footprint is big and City make so much use of it. They're building a new hotel. They've got that concert venue that's going to be on site now. You know, they're, they're, they've got a fan zone that they're now making even bigger. United have just got car park after car park after car park that is just uh, yeah. crying out for more to be there than just a stadium. There's so much potential within that site that to unlock it, I think the best way to unlock it for me is to build a new stadium. And again, we talk about 
the revenue streams you can get from new stage. We look at Tottenham with the NFL, you them with the with the concerts. I know I was looking. Here's here's a who's who list for you. Um, but basically, this this is the list of concerts that Tottenham have had in two years. They had Guns and Roses, revenue eleven million dollars. Lady Gaga, revenue nine million dollars. Beyonce, she did I think four or five dates, forty million dollars. Red Hot Chili Peppers, another $6.7 million. They've also got Pink doing a tour there this summer. You know, you, you talk about sort of ways to boost the budget. That is one way of doing it and offsetting it. They've had the boxing, they've had, like we said, other sports. Old Trafford obviously has soccer, it has the Super League. You know, there are still some showpiece events there. But if you're holding a concert in Manchester, you go to the Etihad. Yeah. We've, I think everyone, not everyone, but lots of people listening to this will have been to a concert at the Etihad because that's the place to go. And now they've got the venue there as well. There's more reason for people to do that. So, you know, Old Trafford has this illustrious history, but what about its future? Is that as bright? I mean, I suppose another aspect of it is we talk about other revenue streams, but as we saw when Tottenham built their stadium, it restricted their transfer movement. Yeah. Would United fans, the majority of United fans, because you've got to remember a club this big, the majority of fans aren't match-going fans. They digest United virtually, and while they still have an interest in a pride of, of the stadium, the facilities, would they rather see United in playing in the same ground but spending a lot more on transfers, or would they rather say, look, this summer we've got an even tighter budget than usual, we won't be signing anyone, but in two years we'll have the best stadium in, in England? Yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, that happened with Arsenal, didn't it, as well as Tottenham. Um, it's, I was going to say it's not really affected them, but I guess it, it did affect them at the time. I mean, it's, it, if, it, if it's sold in the right way, I guess they would accept that. The fascinating thing for me is how, if they went for a new Old Trafford, and you're talking one and a half, I mean, what two do we call billion, it? That's the, thing. That's the big one, isn't it? Is it a new Old Trafford? Yeah. Is it a new Trafford? But how do you, well, this comes to, how do you fund it? Because we've got the bizarre, it's not like you fund, it's not like someone owns the club and they say, we're building a new stadium, this is how we're funding it. Are Ineos going to pay for it when they only own 25% of the club? You know, there's... At the moment, the, the Ineos Glazers marriage of conveniences is, is working okay. The Glazers have said, you run the football club, we, we're rubbish at that, you sort it out for us. But when you've got an infrastructure project that comes in at maybe two billion, you know, are Ineos going to want to put their hand, is Ratcliffe going to want to put his hand in the pocket for one and a half billion when he only actually owns 25% of the club? I just think it, it think just seems of, complicated yeah. how you would sort that out because we know we know for a fact the Glazers aren't going to put their hand in the pocket for four and a half billion. Yeah. So how are you going to fund it? Naming rights is an obvious part part solution. But then you go in, you know, you would have to go. I don't think either, because of that situation, I don't think either is going to fund it themselves, essentially. You know, Ratcliffe's already put this 245 million in. I think it's going to be funded via, via debt and loans, basically, um, and via financing options, which a lot of stadiums are. But I just, you know, I, I, did, I think... If there's going to be any issues between Ineos and the Glazers, I think it's going to be over infrastructure projects like Old Trafford and, and how that is funded. Yeah, if you look at Tottenham here, now I'm on the Wikipedia page, just how much research I've done. I mean, the overall cost of that was £1.2 billion pound in the end, Levy uh, revealed. The great proportion of the estimated £1.177 uh, 1 billion debt was due to construction of the stadium. Um, that's when they had to secure a £175 million pound loan uh, during the COVID pandemic. Um, also here as well, it says, obviously Tottenham haven't renamed their stadium yet, but Tottenham were looking to get about 20 to 25 million pounds annually for the naming rights of the stadium. United could maybe push- Probably double that. Maybe. Yeah, we'd say about 40 to 50 million. I don't think, think would be so, too yeah. out there to, 
to, to sort of go for. So there are, there are ways around it, but like you said, even in terms of the contractual setup of, if Ineos did put money towards it, how much of revenue from the stadium do they then inherit? Is it the proportion of the funding for the stadium or is it just what they're entitled to as minority sort of stakeholders in, in it? Do you know what I mean? It's, it, there's so much, so much legalese in it as well that would yeah. need to be resolved. Um, but yeah, I suppose it's certainly something that needs to happen. We just need to wait and see, really. Do you think it'll be something that moves quickly? I mean, how high on the priority list it is? Because if you go back to that David Gill quote, if you're winning games, it can be parked for a few years, really, can't it? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's I feel like it's gone on so long now that a decision needs to be made. You know, they appointed Populous in April 2022. That's coming up for two years ago to come up with plans. They have come up with plans. You're at the point now where you need to make a decision. Um, so I think, you know, even if the, the win of a game between now and the end of the season, I don't think it's going to make Old Trafford less of an issue. I think it's such a glaring issue now that a decision needs to be made one way or the other. Because what can't happen is that it just stands there as it is. Because otherwise, five years down the line, the situation is just going to be even worse. So, you know, I think there is there is momentum behind it now with with the, with the investment from Ineos. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's decision time now. Populists have done their bit in terms of coming up with the plans what do you want to do make a decision and, and push ahead with it I think it's I, I can see with that momentum I can see something happening you know by the summer I would think in terms of deciding which route they want to go down yeah I guess that is the next step and it's just that clarity in this yeah. firm decision this is what's going to happen and then we see how that actually transpires that's all for part two of the Manchester's Road podcast join us after the short break when we will look ahead to the trip to Villa Park Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast on Manchester Evening News. Ty then, Villa Park this weekend. United, of course, you could maybe say it was a turning point in the season, that 3-2 win on Boxing Day. Villa, the better team for the majority of it. Their high line was exposed by United's asset of, of pace and attack, really. Some key moments. Hoyland's first Premier League goal. It was obviously Garnacho on the right, which has sort of given a rebirth to United in, in recent weeks. Can you see them repeating it? Obviously, Villa beaten comfortably in midweek by Chelsea out of the FA Cup. I think they've won three of seven since Boxing Day. United have won four of six. Does this point towards a memorable away day for United fans? I mean, it's certainly an opportunity for United, isn't it? To get themselves right back in that top four race. Like I say, it feels like the wind is coming out of Villa sails a little bit now. They are still fourth. And, you know, it's less than a week since they won an away game 5-0 in the Premier League, albeit against a... A team that has been doomed from day one but it's still a good result but for so long we're talking about that incredible Villa Park record but you know they, they drew with Sheffield United just before Christmas they've lost to Newcastle they've lost to Chelsea there it, it certainly feels like an opportunity for United and I think it's pretty clear that the way Unai Emery sets that team up plays into United's hands mm. and even you know even without Martinez maybe there's less of an issue with build-up play here because United's build-up play on Boxing Day was as soon as you win the ball, get it over the top, and one of Rashford, Ganacho or Hoyland will, will outpace their opposite number. And it, it, it was simplistic, but it worked, and they exploited it really well. And even at 2-0 down, even early in the second half, you still felt that game was winnable for United yeah. just because of how easy they were getting in behind. So it'll be interesting to see whether Villa change anything they do or whether they go with that approach again. But 
you know, tactically, it feels like a nice fit for, for United, and especially that, that front three at the moment. And the fact that Villa are kind of losing momentum and United are gaining momentum, I think you've got to say it's a, it's a huge opportunity. And if they win, they, they are right back in that top four race. Yeah, if you, if you look at how it's poised now, Villa eight points ahead of United. So by Sunday evening, Villa could either be 11 points or five points ahead of United. And that could be the difference between Conference League or Champions League next yeah. season. If you like, really... It is, it's huge, it's absolutely massive. It's imperative they don't lose, first of all, but if they can win and cut that, that, that down to five points, I would not be, I, even right now, I would not be surprised if United, if they win on Sunday, if they then go and get Champions League qualification, even though it's looked so unlikely a season. There's, what, 15 games left already? There's a huge amount of football still to be played, and you expect Villa to drop off. United will still have some horrid results, I, I expect, along the way, but that level of consistency is rising where Villa's is, is dropping off. We spoke then about the team news. One change we probably expect with Martinez out. Are you sticking there with Maguire and Varane from the start? Or have we persuaded you during this podcast to, to give Victor a go to avoid those abusive emails? Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna have to prepare for an influx of, of Swedish email addresses. I think it's got to be Maguire and Varane. I think they're, you know, I think they're the best centre-backs left. And I know it's not perfect for the build-up play, but like I say, maybe it'd be less of an issue against against Villa and the, and the way you play. You kind of let Villa off the ball, you win it, you get it to Casemiro or Fernandes and you knock it over the top. It's, it's, it's simple. It sounds simple, but it did work. So I think you'd play Maguire and Varane. You'd back them as the best combination to deal with Ollie Watkins, I think. And, you know, Villa have got some dangerous forwards. But for me, that's, you know, the, the centre-back for Martinez has got to be the only change. I think the rest of the team is working well at the moment. I've liked... I like the look of the Casemiro and Mainu partnership and the, the balance that brings. Um, and that front three, you know, I, I think it's, it's clicking at the moment. Ganacho, for someone who's never wanted to play on the right, he looks really good on the right. Um, I did the today, he's lost six goals, three with his right foot, three with his left foot. And he just looks, he looks a major threat down that flank. We're seeing more of, of Rashford now. Rashford is clearly getting better. He's clearly improving. Um, and, and Hoyland scored in four successive games since that goal against Villa so you know I think the team basically picks itself at the moment apart from that one injury issue like I say I guess we see this weekend just how good that front three is without Martinez because yeah. that has been a, a, a caveat in it but obviously they've still done done a lot themselves interesting as well just look at the table I mean United are sick but they are closer points wise to Chelsea than to Villa at this moment in time and I suppose being the sort of devil's advocate is it only takes one defeat and we're back into <laughs> You know, United could drop to eight this weekend yeah. and it could be all doom and gloom for Thursday night football at best. Yeah, I mean, if they lose and they're 11 points behind Villa, I think you have to say fourth is gone. 11 points in 14 games. I just don't think they've got the consistency that this season to... Especially to with what, a trip to the Etihad, Liverpool at home, who will yeah. be looking to season, end the season high. Arsenal at home as well. Yeah. Some big games uh, to come. Yeah, so... I mean, fifth, fifth is probably going to be good enough for the Champions League this year, but they are still six points behind Tottenham. I think... Well, I think it'll be a surprise if you like Tottenham team who are going to be welcoming back Son. They're going to be getting stronger. Yeah, you'd expect. Yeah, they've got no like. I mean, like United, they've got no European football. I'd be surprised if United were good enough to to reel in six points on on Tottenham. Um, so catching Villa feels like probably their their best bet. Um, but if that gap, if if they lose this weekend and that gap gets to eleven, you'd have to say they're 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 not out of the Champions League race again, but. Even top five, I think, gets really, really difficult if they do lose this weekend. And, you know, Champions League football is vital this 
next season, not just for the prestige, but for the revenue it brings when we know how, how tight United's spending issues are. So do you have a prediction to end this podcast on what will happen, sort of, not score-wise, but result-wise this weekend, do you? Because I, I, I keep on fluctuating between one and the other. I mean, Villa will come out all guns blazing, but that could play right into United's hands. But we've also seen that Villa could take a 2-0 lead within 10 minutes. Yeah. And sometimes that can be turned over. Sometimes United's heads can just drop and they can capitulate. So yeah. I'm I, really torn on this I one. I am. I just, I still, as, as good as United's form has been recently, I still just think they're really hard to predict. I mean, we saw against West Ham, you know, West Ham could easily have been 2-0 up well, at the break. West, you know, West Ham had 22 shots, United had 12 in that game, and it was a victory based on clinical finishing, which is something Ten Hag has been complaining about all season, they're not clinical enough. So you have to say, you know, fair play, they took their chances and West Ham didn't. But I still don't think you should be allowing West Ham 22 shots at Old Trafford and some really, really good chances in that game. I don't think... You know, that's not the sign of a top four team to be giving West Ham 22 shots. Um, the, we, we, we've said this run of form kind of started with Villa at home, which it did. But four days later, they went and lost at Nottingham Forest. They were 2-0 up at Newport and got dragged back to 2-2 against the League 2 team. They dominated Wolves and threw it away, only to then go and win it again. So as good as some of these recent results have been, you're still looking at almost every one and thinking, yeah, there's kind of a caveat with that yeah. one. And you still look at United's away record where they just don't beat anyone good away from home, really. Yeah, well, the Wolves, you know, the Wolves win was probably their best away win of the season, yeah. I would say. It was either that or Everton, wasn't that it? That or Everton, given the circumstances. But it's still, you don't, you don't get a trophy for that, do no, you? No, you don't. And the Wolves won, like, for an hour, that was their best performance of the season, I thought, in terms of, like, the on-the-ball performance, the quality of their passing and their movement on the ball. You could see those patterns of play that Ten Hag wants a lot more. And then from, from being in a position where they're dominating that game, 20 minutes to go, Wolves haven't had a look in. They can see three goals in the last 20 minutes. And it just, you know, it just makes you think that although they're improving, there's still vulnerabilities there. And it's, you know, like I say, even that 3-0, whatever, West Ham, you know, clinical finishing, clinical performance. But you'd still look at it and think, you don't want to be giving West Ham 22 shots at Old Trafford because Villa are in a very attacking team. If, if you give Villa 20 shots on Sunday, you're probably going to lose the game. So I'd like, like you, I just find it really hard to call. I, no result at all would be a surprise. And for that reason, I'm going to go draw. Yeah, they won't be able to have 22 shots at Old Trafford if you knock it down. I think that's the overall maybe that's the solution. Yeah. Maybe that's the solution <laughs> to today's podcast. Uh, Ty, thank you very much for joining us on the Manchester no podcast. Thank you, thank you very much wherever you are in the world. A reminder, we will be back on Monday. That will be released audio version at 3pm on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, wherever you get them, and at 5pm on YouTube and Facebook as well. If you want to see the visuals of this podcast, if you want to see my trainers in, in all their glory and give me some, some abuse for that, then Bring it on, bring it on. Um, thank you very much for joining us. Take care and we'll see you again next time.